Have you ever been left behind? Perhaps you were trying to get to the airport to catch a flight, but something happened and you just didn't get there in time, and you got left behind. And actually, here's what happened. You were on the way to your favorite niece's wedding, and because you got left behind at the airport, you didn't make the wedding. And here's what happened at the wedding. The family got together for this portrait with the bride in her beautiful dress and the groom looking, well, as good as he could in the circumstances. <laughs> and all of the family is gathered around and they have this wonderful memento of this wedding. And you're not in the picture because you got left behind. Here's another one. Perhaps when you were in elementary school, you got sick one day, and it was the day that your class was going on a field trip, and you didn't get to go. You got left behind. And the next day, when you went back to class, all your friends could talk about was what a wonderful time they had, and you had nothing to say. You were left out because you had been left behind. Here's another one. What if you have a close friend or a close relative and they're a Christian and they die and they go to be in the presence of the Lord and guess what? You got left behind. Actually, no Christian gets left behind. Every Christian, every saint is important in the sight of God. And every Christian, every believer in the Lord Jesus Christ has a part to play. There is no saint left behind. This morning we're going to continue our series, our sermon series in Thessalonians. Last week, Pastor Jay finished with the end of First Thessalonians. And this morning we're going to take a look at the first chapter of Second Thessalonians. And the setting for this is that there were a number of people in the Thessalonian church who actually thought that they had been left behind. You see, one of the expectations that they had as Christians was that there was going to come a day of the Lord when he would come and take his, his people to him. And they were expecting that with great anticipation. They were looking forward to it. But time went on. A few years passed. And they were still there. And they began to wonder, did I get left behind? This is in Second Thessalonians. Paul is assuring the saints, the believers in Thessalonia, that they did not get behind, get left behind. And that same assurance is for us today. The Lord has not forgotten us. He's still coming. And we still look forward to it. Our text for today is the first chapter of 2 Thessalonians. It's a short chapter, so maybe we can have a short sermon. <laughs> Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, 
because your faith is growing abundantly and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and your faith in all your persecutions and in all the afflictions that you are enduring. This is evidence of the glorious of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and away from the glory of his might when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. To this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have not forgotten us. We thank you that we are still here. We're still waiting. We're waiting with a purpose. And we eagerly anticipate what you would say to us this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, when I was a little boy, about six years old, on this one particular morning, I went to Sunday school, as I was supposed to. And the lesson was about, if you have the faith of a mustard seed, you can move a mountain. And so, that afternoon, I went out in the backyard, and I looked at the mountains, and I said, move, mountain, move. I don't know if mountains are capable of laughing, (laughs) but they might have. But I wasn't to be dissuaded. I was persistent. And I said, move, move, mountains. And they didn't move. And finally I said, I adjure you. I don't know how I learned that word. I'm not sure that I still know what it means. I looked it up in the dictionary, and I'm not sure the dictionary knows what it means. (laughs) But I said, I adjure you, move mountains. And here's the thing. If you ever visit Las Cruces, New Mexico, look for the mountains. They're still there. My heart was wrong. I was just a young boy and I really didn't know any better, but my heart was wrong. I thought that if I could say that I had the faith of a mustard seed, that I could go out and I could literally move a mountain. Because after all, I'd been told that everything in the Bible is true. And actually, everything in the Bible is true. But you see, what I was doing was the same thing that a lot of us do, that a lot of us do not just as children, but we do as adults. We make it about us. It's all about 
us. We want to be the center of attention. We don't put God in his rightful place. We don't put him on the throne in our lives. When we look at Thessalonians, we see Paul in the first few, few verses of that, of that uh, first chapter of 2 Thessalonians, in verses 3 and 4, he says this. He says, We are always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly, and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in all the afflictions that you are enduring. Paul is praying for the church in Thessalonica. He's praying for the Thessalonians. He's giving thanks for them. And you know, in our lives, as we face temptations, I'm kind of hesitant to say that as we face persecutions because here in the United States, I don't think it's gotten to that point yet. But we do face trials and temptations. We live in a society that is not friendly to Christianity. And unfortunately, sometimes even that which is supposed to be Christian is not friendly to Christianity. But Paul is giving thanks to the Thessalonians for the persecutions that they have endured. And we should also give thanks to our Lord for the trials and temptations that we endure. Because remember, God has a plan. And as we stand fast as Christians, as we we go through the things that God puts before us, we are a witness to the world. And as Paul said that he is praying thanksgiving, we need to remember that we also need to be praying, praying for thanksgiving and other prayers as well. Paul, in another place in the New Testament, says to pray without ceasing. To pray without ceasing. When was the last time you prayed? When was the last time that you prayed? Well, you can certainly look at our church bulletin this morning and say, See, there's a place where I prayed. But remember, we're supposed to pray without ceasing. I think that means that we're also always supposed to be in communication with God. Through Jesus Christ, through the Holy Spirit, we're always supposed to be in communication with our Heavenly Father. And when we look at this praying without ceasing, look at our church bulletin this morning. For those of you who have our church bulletin, the the order of service, look at it. Our call to worship. Do you remember the call to worship this morning? That was a prayer. It was a psalm. We were telling God what a great and glorious person he is. We were praising him for the protection that he gives us. We were asking him for further protection. We opened the the service this morning with our prayer, with our call to worship. And it indeed was a prayer. Then we had a hymn of praise. Our hymn of praise. All hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall. Another prayer. Another prayer to our God. 
praising him for his power and looking forward to the things that he is going to do. Children's prayer, well, that's kind of obvious. Jerry brought the children up here and had prayer with them. The prayer of confession, that was actually about praying. The doxology that followed the reception of the tithes and offerings, that's also a prayer. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. By the way, I... Uh, I miss the prayer that comes after uh, the prayer of confession, um, the, the song. We started the sermon with a prayer. We'll end the sermon with a prayer. And we'll end the service with a prayer. Pray without ceasing. That's what Paul tells us to do. And as we anticipate the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, we should pray without ceasing. We should always be in that posture where we're in communication with God. Paul goes on after he says that he thanks, he, he thanks the Lord that the, the Thessalonians are standing brave. They're standing, standing firm in, in, the, in the face of persecution and, and, and the trials that are before them. In verses 5 through 10, Paul says that the day of the Lord is coming. That day that you have been looking forward to, the day when God, when Jesus Christ, when Jesus Christ himself is going to come back and he's got these angels and it's like a really big deal. Jesus is coming back and that is a day of judgment. And that is going to be a day of trouble for a lot of people. We live today in a society where we like to make it all about ourselves. It's all about me. It's what I can do. When I stood out looking at those mountains outside of Las Cruces, and I told them to move, I wasn't telling them to move for the glory of God. I was telling them to move so that I could prove a point about me and about how much faith I had, which turned out to be no faith at all. Because if I had had faith, the faith would not have been in me. It would have been in Jesus Christ. And it wouldn't be about moving a mountain. It would be about moving a mountain if it is the Lord's will. And there are mountains to be moved. Mountains to be moved, but not necessarily of the physical sense. Mountains to be moved in our lives, in the spiritual encounters that we have, the, thing, the obstacles that we come up against in our lives. And actually, when the Lord comes again and there's that day of judgment, it's kind of like a day of vindication for us. Because remember... Jesus is our strength, he is our defender, and he takes care of us. And there are people who he will claim as his own, and that is the judgment that will be pronounced upon them at that time. And there are people who are not his own, 
and the judgment that will be pronounced upon them at that time is they will be cast from his presence. In other words, hell is a real place and there are people who are going to hell. But for us, it's a glorious day. We get to pray. We get to rejoice. We get to sing. We get to worship the majesty of Jesus Christ. We get to marvel at who he is. And that is a great and glorious thing. We have to be careful, though. We have to be careful that as Christians, we don't take this attitude that I'm better than you. Because you see, one of the things that we might be tempted to do in this life is knowing that Jesus Christ is coming back. And Jesus Christ is our defender. And Jesus Christ is, always go- is going to make things right. We might be tempted perhaps to look at somebody who's causing us a lot of problems, a non-Christian, and we look at them and we smile and say, just you wait. You're going to get yours. Wait till God comes back. He's going to get you. But that's not the attitude that we're supposed to have. That is not the attitude that we are supposed to have at all. As we wait for the coming of our Lord, we're to wait in obedience to Him. And obedience to Him means we carry out His commands while we are still here on earth. We face trials and tribulations. We, tra- we face even persecution. And, in, and as we encounter that, we remember the admonition of the Lord, the command of the Lord. Keep in mind, in the Bible, there are not very many suggestions. They're usually commands. And one of the commands that we are to obey is to go into all the world, proclaim the gospel, and make disciples for Christ. And sometimes that's not a very easy thing to do. Remember that Paul is writing this this letter of 2 Thessalonians to a church. And he's lifting them up. And he's saying, you've been doing a good job. I give thanks to the Lord for your perseverance. I give thanks to the Lord for all of you, for your steadfastness, for your keeping the faith. And we hope that we can say the same thing about ourselves, that we're steadfast and we keep the faith. And one of the things that I take away from this is the importance of the local church. Don't discount the importance of the local church. Don't overlook the power and authority that the Holy Spirit gives to the local church to proclaim His Word. And we call that evangelism. I know a man who lives in China, and he is perhaps the most pathetic individual that I know. He's an older man. He's almost 80 years old. He's a retired high school teacher. He lives in Shanghai. And every year for six months during the cold months of the year, 
he goes to an island off the south coast of China, and he rents an apartment, and he spends time in prayer. He's not a Christian. He's a Buddhist. And he prays hours and hours every day. And what he's praying for is that when he dies, when he leaves this life, he will, be, he will have a better life when he's reincarnated. And of course, we know that there is no reincarnation. You die and you face the judgment of God, heaven or hell. But nevertheless, he prays. And I'm not sure what or who he prays to. It's sort of like praying to the universe. And maybe he lights a few candles or whatever. But one of the things that he prays for, for his life that is yet to come, he thinks, is that he will have a better life because he will have a better wife. Boy, he is going to have a surprise. After the, after the end of six months, and he does this every year, he's got an eight-year plan to do this. And I think he's like in the third or fourth year of his eight-year plan. And at the end of the six months, he comes back to his family in Shanghai, which incidentally includes his wife in this life. And she's very bitter. She is a very bitter woman, and you can understand why. He comes back to Shanghai to be with his family. He's alienated his children. He has virtually no relationship with his grandchildren. And while he's in Shanghai, at home in Shanghai, he runs off to these monasteries and to these temples and continues to pray for a better life and a better wife. It is my prayer that someday he will come to Christ. And I think, and here again, it really doesn't matter what I think. It's in the hands of the Lord. But I think that when he comes to Christ, it is not going to be because of a missionary. I think that it's going to be because of his daughter. His daughter is a Christian. His daughter is a, is a Christian in Shanghai, China. And she's very well educated. She's a cardiologist. She's dean of internal medicine at a, a medical school in Shanghai. And when she came to Christ, it was not because of a missionary. When she came to Christ, the, the story is she was sent by the hospital which employs her to the University of Nevada to do research, to do some medical research at the University of Nevada. And while she was at UNR, she started attending Covenant Presbyterian Church. And attending Covenant Presbyterian Church, she became a Christian. Don't underestimate the power and authority that is given to the local church to bring people to Christ. I'm not speaking against missionaries. As a matter of fact, I will be speaking in favor of them later this summer. But right now I'm talking about us, Covenant Presbyterian Church. 
a church that needs to pray, and we just talked about praying without ceasing, and to constantly, constantly, constantly be in contact with God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And at the same time, we need to be evangelical, to reach out into the community, to touch people's lives. This is one of the good things about Covenant Presbyterian Church, is we are already evangelical. We already reach out to the community. We already do things like uh, the Kids Club on Wednesday afternoons and the Vacation Bible School that's coming up. But you know what? Those are good things that we do, and we need more volunteers to do them. We have volunteers that have been doing it for years, and some of them are getting tired, and they need a change of pace. We need volunteers for those sort of things. We also have uh, small groups, home groups, that people can invite other people into and introduce them to Jesus Christ. It's another good thing that we've got going here. We also support local missions like Good Shepherd's Clothes Closet, uh, uh, Crisis Pregnancy Center, Awaken. We need to be involved with those organizations. We need to be involved with, with local mission. We need to be involved praying for them. We need to be involved volunteering with them. And we need to be involved with them financially. This is evangelism. This is what we are called to do. And if you'll remember a few Sundays ago, there were a couple of elders that got up here and talked about how the elders of this congregation felt led to lead us, all of us at Covenant Presbyterian Church, into a deeper prayer life, that prayer is so important, and also that we need to be evangelical, to have courage and faith to go out and introduce people in our community to Jesus Christ, to continue to build upon the foundations that we've already got, the things that we are already doing with our children and with local mission, to continue to do that. In the first chapter of Second Thessalonians, Paul assures us that Jesus has not yet come. But until he comes again, until he comes, we have work to do. There is much to do. God has a plan for us. We need to pray. We need to be responsive to that, to that plan. We pray for ourselves and we pray for others. We pray for our community we pray for our families. We pray for our friends. We pray that on that day when Jesus Christ comes back and he separates the wheat from the chaff, the sheep from the goats, that we will have done our part as we are empowered by the Holy Spirit, that we will find favor as a church in his sight. Keep in mind, it's not about us. We don't go out in the parking lot and turn to the mountains and say, move. 
they're not going to move. But we go out into the community and we look at the people who we perceive not to be our friends, not to be our brothers and sisters in Christ, and we pray to them, pray for them rather, saying, in the name of Jesus Christ, come with me, come with me, and let's go worship Jesus Christ. We have a purpose, and our purpose is prompted by faith. Not everybody has the same measure of faith. We know that. But nevertheless, don't sit back and say, I do not have enough faith to serve my Lord Jesus Christ. I do not have enough faith to pray. That is wrong. Jesus gives you exactly what you need to have. One of the things that I find significant about this first chapter of of 2 Thessalonians is the way that it begins and the way that it ends. It begins in verse 1 saying, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And the second verse says, Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. And it ends saying, So that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. It's all about Jesus. Everything's about Jesus. And we need to be about Jesus as we wait for his coming and his day of judgment. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that there is a day coming when every tear will be wiped away. There will be no more disease. And Jesus Christ will reign in a way that he has never reigned before. We thank you for that and we look forward to it. We know that there will be no saint left behind. No saint left behind because all God's people will be gathered in. We look forward to that glorious day. And we pray this in Jesus' name. We pray this in Jesus' name because it is Jesus Christ who made this possible. It is Jesus Christ who humbled himself on the cross so that our sins might be forgiven and that we have the privilege of going out and proclaiming Jesus Christ to a lost world. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.